Moses achieved so much that he almost seemed superhuman to us, and yet he failed. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. In his letter to the Hebrews, the author has a tricky task. He isn't trying to take Moses down from his pedestal, but he wants us to look much, much higher, away from the servant of God and toward the Son. Moses symbolizes an approach to God that ultimately can't work because of our sinful hearts. Here's Jim to begin his sermon called, The Problem Moses Couldn't Solve. In Hebrews chapter 3, the writer has finished the first two chapters where he says that what God says in his Son, who is Jesus Christ, the statement God made in his Son, the revelation God gave in his Son, through his Son, and about his Son, is superior to anything and everything in the angelic world. That's chapters 1 and 2. It reminds us, however, that for him to achieve the position of being our Savior, he had to become man. He had to be incarnate. And during that period of incarnation, he was actually lower than, positionally lower than the angels, meaning he became human and became like us. That was necessary for him to qualify to be our Savior, to go to the cross, take our place, take our sins, take the punishment of our sins, and pay for them in his sacrifice. And that he did for all humanity. No one will ever be able to stand before Jesus Christ and say, why didn't you die for me? The answer of Scripture and the answer from the throne will be, I did. I did. Every human and every sin that every human ever committed was cared for at the cross of Calvary. No demon got in on that deal. And that's how chapter 2 ends. The writer then turns our attention to Jesus as compared to Moses. To give you uh, a fresh reminder of how important Moses was, turn to chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Look down through that long list of people who did great and mighty things. Look at that long list, long list. It starts all the way up there in chapter 11 and verse 3. See, by faith we understand the universe is created. How do we know that? Genesis. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. By faith, Abel, we read. How do we know about Abel? Genesis. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Moses. Okay, you, we just keep doing that same thing all the way down. Look how far you have to go down. All the way down to verse 30. The first 29 verses of chapter 11 where heroes of faith are cited, 29 verses are all given to us exclusively by Moses' writings. That's pretty significant. And then at verse 30, we move to the walls of Jericho. That's under Joshua's administration. So verses 30 down through uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 1, which is the end of the 11th chapter, Verses 30, Hebrews 11:30, down, including chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, 
Those are all beyond Moses. That is, they happened after Moses had stopped writing. They are illustrations taken from later history after Moses was no longer on the earth. That's a significant background. Now let me tell you something else. <laughs> with the exception, with the exception of those verses, verses 30, chapter 11, verse 30, down through what it says about Jesus in chapter 12, with the exception of those few verses, everything else in the book is connected to Moses. Everything. You see, Moses was the lawgiver. He was the one chosen by God to be the administrator, the installer of the law, the covenant, the, the law, and the, not the covenant, but the tabernacle. All of that came under Moses' administration. He not only brought the people out of Egypt, not only led them through the wilderness to Sinai, he was the mediator that went up on the mountain and talked to God, and God talked to Moses. Moses was the one that brought the two tablets of stone in one hand and the blueprints for the tabernacle under his arm when he came down from meeting with God on the mountain. Moses spoke face to face with God. So intimate was that relationship that at one time Moses' skin actually radiated light. When he came down, he had been in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights, and his skin radiated, much like, well, it's not like that at all. You know, when you get a sunburn, you know, your face radiates. Well, this was a heavenly sunburn. That's how intimate, how close Moses was with God. Moses would talk to God. God would answer Moses. People would bring a question to Moses. Moses would talk to God, bring back to the people the answer that, that God gave. All during that 40 years, Moses was constantly mediating for God. He was God's spokesman in the midst of the people. He was God's architect in the midst of the construction of the tabernacle. He was God's administrator, making sure that the priests were set up right and all the sacrifices were done. He was God's scribe and wrote out how the sacrifices were to function. All of that came through Moses. Moses is a very dynamic dude. He is a very significant person in Scripture. And in chapter 3, the author is talking to us, and the author is giving us a comparison of how what God says to us and what God did for us in his son Jesus, how that compares to what God said to Moses and what Moses did on God's behalf in his day, at his time, and through the writings that he wrote since then. Moses is a significant player. And the writer acknowledges that when he starts in chapter 3. He says, Moses was faithful in the task that God gave him. That's chapter 3. But consider Jesus, who's the apostle and high priest. Well, when we come to the next chapter and we talk about the high priesthood, 
we're going to compare Jesus to Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Remember that? And Moses was the one who installed Aaron as the first high priest. Remember that? Today we're going we're to talk for a minute about Joshua and Joshua leading the people into the land of Israel. Well, Joshua was Moses' minister. He was Moses' assistant. And it was under Moses' authority that, that Joshua was appointed to be his successor. And Joshua followed through and led the people into the land of Israel when Moses couldn't do that. So, chapter 2 and 3, in, in a sense, chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are all about Moses and Moses' work, whether it was the written law, or whether it was the tabernacle, or whether it was the priesthood, or whether it was the sacrifices, all of that was set up on earth by Moses. And the author is trying to show us that all that Moses did and all that Moses accomplished pale. Look with me, please, at chapter 3. And verse 16. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? And with whom was he, was God, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And in whom, to whom did he, God, swear that, that they would not enter into his rest, if not those who disobeyed? Moses' achievements are remarkable. But Moses' failures are extremely significant. See, Moses didn't have the power to get inside the people's hearts inside the people's heads, inside the people's souls. Moses didn't have the power to somehow change them from the inside out. He could give them laws and directions and organize them and do all the things that he did do. But Moses himself, did not enter the land. Joshua had to do that. Because Moses himself, as mighty a man, as faithful a man as he was, Moses needed a savior too. That's the point of the passage. But the point of the passage is that what Moses couldn't do, Jesus does do. Jesus didn't come and give a new law. He didn't come and give a new teaching. He came and revealed life. He came and met the challenge of sin and death and provided a new life, a life that would be energized and animated by the Spirit of God. That's what the gospel is. That's what the new covenant is. It's when God writes his laws 
in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When God himself comes to enter our lives by the Holy Spirit. So that we have an inner basis, an inner strength. We have an inner energizer who is able to help us overcome temptation, frustration, all of those things. Moses couldn't do that. Everything that Moses did led people to understand they desperately needed that kind of a savior. And we're going to see that. Everybody knew that they needed something Moses couldn't give them. Now, the psalmist, looking back in history, wrote this bit of, this bit of a scripture. Notice, please, chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with this generation, the generation in the wilderness. I was provoked with them and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have a heart problem. They have not known my ways. They have not tested or have not proven and not become confident of my ways and trusts me to keep my promises. So in my wrath I swore they will not enter into my rest. The historic experience described in the psalm is Kadesh Barnea. The people had come out of Egypt. They had seen Pharaoh's army floating face down. When the flood waters came back at the Red Sea, they had eaten manna. They had found God faithful to provide water for them when there was no water anyplace else. They had all these experiences, and they went all the way to Mount Sinai, and there they stood in awe and watched God come down to the mountain. They saw Moses go up and come down several times. They rebelled at the foot of the mountain, told Aaron, make us a god. As for this man Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. You remember that? Why? Because though Moses, led by God, could get them out of Egypt, he couldn't get Egypt out of them. And these people, every time they faced a problem or a situation, they whined, they complained, they grumbled, they resisted God. That's what the psalmist is telling us. And God says, I know what you're doing. You don't trust me. Ten times, ten times you have faced problems, and instead of trusting me and saying, Father, provide as you will, you grumbled and complained and threatened to go back to Egypt. Ten times you've done that. Well, the tenth time they did it was when God took them from the base of Mount Sinai up to a little place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is actually, actually on the southern border of the Promised Land. And then God told Moses, I want you to pick twelve men to go in and spy out the land. They did. 
they came back. Two of them said, ah, oh, the land is full of giants and walled cities. Well, look at the magnificent fruit they have up there. Let's go take the land. Ten of the spies said, we can't do that. We're not able. We'll put in jeopardy our families, our children. So they refused to enter the land, and they turned and were going to kill Moses. God interrupted, told them to turn around and go back to the wilderness. Now, had they gone into the land at that moment, they would have saved themselves 38 years of wandering. And God was provoked. And God told them, you adults, anyone 20 years of age and older, you will not enter the land. I forbid it. You will die in the wilderness. And that's why they wandered for 38 more years. Well, the writer of Scripture says it's, a, it's, a, it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of God in his anger. Awful thing. And they did. That whole generation died in the wilderness. Why? What was the problem? The problem was they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They refused to trust God and put their full dependence and confidence in him. They were constantly challenging God. God would show them another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign. And before, they, before the sign was actually finished, they rebelled against God again. So God said, okay, you're not going in. Now that leads the writer of Hebrews to make the challenge with which we close tonight. And here it is. Watch out, verse 12. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Evil, unbelieving. That word unbelieving means non-faithful, having no faith in the true God. Therefore, doing what Adam and Eve did, trying to find a place to hide from God departing from the living God. This is such a serious thing that every day, constantly, we are to be encouraging one another so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The great value of Hebrews is it tells us, it tells us the danger of not being people of faith. If we are not willing to trust God, then we're thrust back upon our own devices, the counsel and wisdom of somebody else, whatever it may be. When we refuse to put our faith in God, surrender to him, and commit to that, when we, when we refuse to commit to God and pursue him, then we're going to drift away from God. We're going to depart from the living God. And in that departure, our hearts, our souls, are going to become hardened and hardened and hardened and harder until we won't hear the Spirit of God when he speaks to warn us. That's the second warning. 
And what it says to us tonight is, all of us in this room are living either on the basis of faith in God's promises and interpreting the future based upon God's promises and what he says he will do. We are either walking today based upon what he said he did for us in the past, what he promises he will do for us now, what he will, we're either walking in that, growing in that, or we're retrograding. Our hearts are becoming harder and sensitive. We're becoming less and less concerned about sin. We're becoming more and more accommodating to our own personal selfishness and to the mores of those around us. You remember the story of Lot. And it tells us that Lot was a just man. It's hard to believe. It also tells us that Lot, in accommodating himself to the vices and the society of Sodom, made himself sick, made himself weak. He became insensitive to sin. So much so that when two angels are standing in his, in his house saying, Lot, we can't deal with this city and its sin as long as you stay here. And he still refused to move. And the text tells us that the two angels grabbed the hand of Lot and his wife and their two daughters, unmarried daughters, and drugged them drugged them out of the city. See, that's Lot in his absolute weakened and hardened condition. He is so comfortable in Sodom, and perhaps he recognizes that his compromise certainly has affected his other daughters and sons-in-law because they laugh when Lot goes and says, we got to get out of here. The text tells us his sons-in-law thought him to be mocking, thought of him as foolish. Dad was saying something that was absolutely inconsistent with his own lifestyle and choices. You follow me? Many times Moses bemoaned the Israelites' stubborn refusal to trust God, but he was a man cut from the same cloth. He, too, fell short of the holy standard and needed a savior. Hebrews was written to people who wanted to somehow inject the law back into grace to have a little Moses with their Jesus. But they were forgetting, as Jim calls it, the problem Moses couldn't solve. We'll send the entire talk to you on CD for a gift of $7 or more. For a generous donation of $66 or more, we'll send you the entire series called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. You'll get 19 CDs in that set ordering details in a moment. Thanks to the folks who are praying and giving to put every Right Start broadcast on the air. Each day's episode is a little miracle, one that comes through ordinary people like you who hear the voice of the Spirit and obey Him. If you'd like to help, it's simple. Visit our website, rightstartradio.org. It's secure and convenient to donate there. Plus, the site is packed with helpful material, 
Our podcast is a way to keep the good teaching coming even when your schedule becomes crazy around the holidays. And those are coming. We give you a link to that. If you'd like to listen to Jim's complete sermons, you can play or download those. Email us and more at rightstartradio.org or send us tree mail at rightstart, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Will we be like Lot, or does God have something better in mind for us? Jim will complete that thought and more tomorrow. We hope you can be here again for Friday's Right Start. Right Start.